Hey, welcome everybody. It's good to be together this morning, um, this beautiful day. You guys look rested. That's good. That extra hour did you well. We love the fall back one, don't we? Kind of don't like the spring ahead, but fall back's kind of nice. Go to bed at 7 and it's actually, what, 8? Something like that. Anyways, good to be together. Welcome to those online. I'm Pastor Kurt, and we're going to be jumping into a message this morning called uh, The Power of Love, The Power of Loving One Another. Uh, So you can turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, so you'll be ready. Um, But as I was thinking about the power of love and thinking about church, thinking about relationships that we have with one another, there have been those people that have, uh, you know, just been super close to me in my lifetime over 30-some years of of pastoral ministry. And one of these guys' names is Chris, Chris Kleingartner. A couple of weeks ago, I did a memorial service for Chris. Chris came to North County about 15 years ago uh, or so and immediately got involved and got involved in the fire, the men's ministry. And uh, Chris would come every week, every Tuesday night. He'd clear this place out, set up the chairs, set up the tables. Uh, About five years ago, Chris got cancer, cancer of the throat. And they gave him one year to live. And five years later, he was still with us and just passed away a couple of months ago. But here's the thing that really stands out about Chris. Besides the fact that that we were friends, every Tuesday night, even through five years of chemo, of treatment, of pain, of suffering, and there's some nights he showed up where really he probably shouldn't have been here. He was in that level of pain and discomfort where he would come every Tuesday night. In fact, I think I can only remember a handful of nights that he didn't come. And he would come, he'd clear away the chairs, he had some help, he had some guys on his team, but he would spend every Tuesday night setting up the tables. And then he would lovingly go around to each table and put the papers out and put the pens out and put the things out that the guys used. And he did that weekly for five years, even while he battled cancer. And it was such a testimony of his love and his care for the men. And and that wasn't all. There were several of the men in the fire that really felt close to Chris and had a relationship with Chris. In fact, uh, we were doing the the memorial service a, a few weeks ago, and four different men stood up and talked about how Chris had impacted their life. Now, it's unusual to have one man stand up for you, right, at your memorial service. There were four, and there were probably more. And in every case, when every man shared, they did it with weeping. Uh, They laid their hearts bare. They shared very well just how Chris had made an impact on their life. And as I was thinking about the message for this week, I was thinking about Chris and thinking about that, that that's the level of love. That's the kind of love that I think John is talking about as he writes this letter to the church and, and as he writes this letter to us. I think John would say to us, uh, I, I want you to love each other the way that Christ loved you, but also the way that Chris loved you. And so I want to approach it that way this morning. I want to approach this from a very personal level uh, in a way that says we are deeply impacted by one another and by one another's love. So let's jump in this morning. First John chapter 2, verse 7. John writes, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one that you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another. Now, you've heard this commandment before, right? It's an old commandment. Is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. I want you to notice that. Jesus lived this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. You know, that that phrase caught me, the darkness is disappearing. You know, before Christ, 
uh, life on the planet was without the Holy Spirit. You know this, right? The Holy Spirit just came to certain individuals, kings and prophets usually, but he did not enter into the hearts and into the lives of men and women. And so the darkness that was disappearing was the darkness of a planet of people without the help and the hope of the Holy Spirit living inside our lives. But now the true life is already shining. This was a picture of Jesus coming and living true love and then releasing his spirit into our hearts so that we could love from the inside out. You see, before we were compelled to love the best we could from outside pressure, the Ten Commandments and other rules and regulations. And it was the fear of punishment that kept us loving. But after Christ, this love entered our hearts, and now the Holy Spirit compels us to love from the inside out. You see the change? The change that Jesus brought of living love and true love. So that's number one in your notes today, that we are to live love as well. We are to live love as well. So what does that mean? When we talk about living love in the true light of God's love, love is really what proves that Christ is in us. If you're not loving to others, if you're not growing, at least in that expression of love, I'm not saying you're perfect in your love, but if you're not growing in that, becoming a more loving person, then the chances that Christ is not in you. And so that's something we have to look at honestly and say, how well am I learning to love? Living in the darkness really means living in anything less than love. So we want to be progressing in this thing we call love. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always going to agree with everybody. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't agree with everybody. But it meant that he loved them even though he didn't agree with them. It does mean that we're going to let Christ shine his true love through us wherever we live as the church. So what is the true love of light? What is that? Well, I believe it's what the Bible calls sacrificial love. In fact, I would argue today that that love is not really love unless there's some element of cost. Unless it costs you something. I mean, there's convenient love, right? We talk about loving people, but usually we get something in return. Sacrificial love really means you lay your life down like Jesus did. And in that moment, you don't get anything in return. It's sacrificial, right? He gave his life for us. But, but there was a hope for Jesus in what he did for us. He knew the joy that was going to come as a result of his laying down his life for us. And we can too. Sometimes we don't see it in the moment, but we know that joy is going to come if we're willing to make the sacrifice and lay down our life for somebody in the moment. Okay? So that's what we're talking about this morning. In Hebrews 12, it says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. I want you to catch that this morning. Jesus didn't love the cross. He didn't love going to the cross. Jesus endured the cross. He put up with the cross. He took on the cross, and he despised the shame of the cross. In other words, he didn't let the shame of dying naked hold him back. He despised it. He said, I'm going to do it anyway. So true love, loving like Jesus, is sacrificial. It endures hardship. And so uh, oftentimes you'll wonder why it's so hard to love. And it's because it's supposed to be hard to love. There are times when love calls for endurance, and that's really, in a sense, what qualifies it as love. Even when, it, even when it's hard, it's worth it, like it was for Jesus. I said that Jesus despised the cross, and it says that in, in Scripture, it says, in the garden, Jesus was filled with sorrow when he thought about the cross. He was troubled when he thought about the cross. His soul was anguished. In fact, he asked his Father to, to remove this whole thing from him, if possible. 
His, his soul, didn't, Jesus' soul didn't want to go to the cross, but his spirit, his, his Godhood knew that there was a joy that was going to come if he was willing to lay down his life. He went through it, and he chose to love because of the joy that was going to come. Now, I've had experiences like that in my life, and you probably have too. If you're married here today, you know that there are times in your marriage that you endure. Like if you've been married for 30 or 40 years, there have been times, I guarantee you, in your marriage that you've endured. There may have been long stretches of time. I remember when Gwen and I went through our counseling years ago, there was a long stretch of time that was very difficult for us, that we just endured. I mean, we didn't, didn't have intimacy for a, a long time, and we just really pressed into that time and did the work of counseling. And it was not fun. It was not fun. I remember driving down to Bellevue for our counseling appointments and coming back and hardly a word spoken in the car. I mean, it was difficult. It was painful. It was hard. But we did it because we had hope in the joy that was set before us that somehow we could come through this and there would be something good on the other side. I've had times like that in parenting. I've had times where I was, it was painful. It was hard to be a parent. You know, you, you watch your kids do things sometimes and make decisions, and, and it just is so hard to watch. But you continue to love them. You continue to be for them. You continue to invest in them because you see the hope of joy on the other side of what can come. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe you've had this in a friendship where there was a struggle. It was difficult, but you pushed through and you endured, and you didn't discard the friend. Because you, you hung on to the hope that there could be joy on the other side. And because you did, you have a friendship that's worth so much today because you held on. That's just the way true love is. True love, sacrificial love, means living for the benefit of others even when it's hard. It means, it means that when you die, maybe there will be not just one, but maybe four men who weep at your funeral. Or, if a woman, maybe four women. I hope if you're a woman, you don't have four men weeping at your funeral. But, but four women would, would be more appropriate for you, right? But you catch my meaning. Like, when we leave this planet at the end of our life, we want to know that someone's going to notice that we're gone. And someone's going to miss us because we loved so well. That's what we want to know at the end of the day. And Chris showed me that so well. So how can you live love sacrificially? What can you endure for the sake of joy? I believe that you can live love because you have Christ's love in you. I don't think we can do this from a human perspective. I don't think it's possible to love this way without Christ. But I believe that the ability for us to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, because that's what Jesus calls for, I believe that that comes from being motivated by such a great love that we've received. Like, we can love because we've been loved. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It must be Christ in you. John goes on in verse 9. He says, If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. So darkness equals hate. Okay? Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. So love equals light. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go. They've been blinded by the darkness. What is John saying? John's saying if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you must love one another. You're not going to like everybody. 
You're not going to be everybody's friend, but you must be for each other. You must be willing to live for the benefit of every person who calls himself a follower of Christ. Uh, you know, if we don't do that, why would anyone want to join our family? <laughs> They're like, I've already got one dysfunctional family. I don't need two. I don't need the biggest family in the world to add to my dysfunction. And sadly, that is what the church has been many times, a big dysfunctional family. And we are. But if we love, you see, if we love, then we become a loving dysfunctional family. <laughs> and that's good. That's good. That's just the way it is, right? So to truly live in the light, we practice love. But to hate your brother or sister reveals there's still darkness in our soul that Jesus wants to take care of. So hatred is a big word. I used to get in trouble for saying to my sister, I hate you. My parents did not like when I said I hate you. But in the Greek, and, and I think then this helps us understand that we do hate sometimes in the body of Christ. In the Greek, to hate really means to dislike strongly. To dislike strongly with the implication of aversion. Like you're going to tr- do everything you can not to be in this person's presence. Or hostility is another word that comes to mind. And then the word to detest. Okay, so this is a strong feeling. I used to think the word hate meant you wanted to murder them, but that's not the case in the Greek. The case is you just really don't like them and don't want to be in their presence. So if there's a person in your church that you try to avoid because you, you can't stand to be around them, um, you detest them, you go the other way when you see them, you sit on opposite sides of the worship center, or you go to a different service, don't look, or you'll find out who it is, right? If you're living that way and just letting it continue, then you're really contributing to the division that darkness wants to bring. Living in the light would mean reconciling those things. Again, you don't have to be besties, but just to reconcile and say, I'm for you. I am for you. So the true light of love, as defined by Jesus, means really to accept your fellow brother or sister in Christ. Last week, Steve talked a little bit about loving the world, loving non-believers. John now is targeting believers. So what we're going to talk about this morning is loving one another, okay? Fellow followers of Christ. And what that really means is to live acceptance. That's number two in your notes today. To live acceptance. I want to be clear. This does not mean to accept sin, okay? We don't accept sin. We help each other identify sin so that we can be rid of sin. We're talking more about quirks, personality differences, Differences in values that, that are not sin, okay? So Paul said in Romans fifteen seven, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. You see, Paul knows that the only way this can happen is through God. And so if we truly become a church that loves each other this way, guess who's going to get the glory? Like, it, it's not possible for us to do this. But with Christ in us, it's possible. So what does acceptance mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think acceptance means that I see the value in every person. Again, the exterior, the quirks, the personality differences, maybe I don't like that so much. But I look past the exterior into the soul like Jesus did. Jesus came for every soul, right? He so loved the world. Look past the exterior and see what is in the soul of that person that God values so much that he would send Jesus to die for that soul. That's what I believe it means 
to accept another person, and then to see their value, but then to add to their value. You know, hatred takes away from their value, right? I don't want to be around that person. You're robbing that person of value. But acceptance says, I'm going to add something to your value. Now, I know, I know how we are as humans. And our human nature will say, I'll just love the people I like. Right? Anybody else kind of feel that way? Uh, just the people who are like me. But Jesus would say, no, we're a family. I died so that you could accept one another. I died so that you could be a family together. And true love, here's the cool thing about church. True love is really tested in the family, in the church, in the body of Christ. There is, there's no other organization on the face of the planet that is like the church where God would take a bunch of people, dump them into a church, a local church, and then he would say, okay, I know you're all different, but love each other. I know you're all different, but accept each other. I know you hate things about each other, but still value and add value to one another. That's the beauty and the amazing quality of the church. Where else does this happen? Where we love each other, even though, in many cases, we don't even know each other, right? So this is what God wants for the church, and it brings incredible glory to him when we can cooperate with him and do this well. Jesus would say to us, I think, I accepted you in your faults and failures. Now North County, accept one another in your faults and failures. But I want to mention this morning, because I told you last week we were going to pray for the persecuted church. And so I want to remind you this morning, just for a couple of minutes here, that our fellow believers are not just people from North County Christ the King, or from the churches of Linden, or the churches of Whatcom County. Our fellow believers extend to the furthest, darkest places across the world, and I've been to some of those places. I've been to places that were just one village removed from villages that have never heard the gospel before. So the darkest places in the world, the darkest villages of India, of Nepal, of Mongolia. And Jesus would say to us, I want you to remember them as well. I want you to love them as well. I want you to accept them as well as your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want you to forget them, that they are out there and they are suffering for me, suffering for the gospel. These are our brothers and sisters. Jesus died not so that we could just accept one another in little old Linden, but Jesus died so that we could accept and love people from every darkest place across the world. Now, we are a church that has adopted pastors in some of the very darkest places. And we help to train them. We send money to feed the people that they minister to. Whole villages are fed through your giving. I want to remind you of that and thank you for that today. There are people that are alive today. I predicted two years ago when this pandemic started, I said, if we shut down the economy, people are going to starve in places like India and Nepal. And that has happened. And you, the church, along with other churches that have given, have kept alive people in villages that would have starved through this COVID thing. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you for thinking of them and giving to them. But there are people, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the persecuted church who are enduring much, and they are friends of ours. We know them. We know who they are. We have missionaries from our church that go and spend time with these people and train them. Alex and Cherry train them in country, in India. And so we wanted to show you a short video. This is not some video that we got off some stock program. These are our people that this is happening to. So take a moment and let the Holy Spirit just remind you we have brothers and sisters that need our prayers. Let's take a look. 
Good morning, North County, Christ the King Church. My name is Matthew, and together we are working over in South and Southeast Asia uh, in advancing the gospel to unreached peoples. Not only are there many people who have never heard of Jesus, but in this part of the world, we're also seeing an, an increase in persecution against followers of Jesus Christ. And this is taking a form in various ways, uh, from people being uh, thrown out of their villages and out of their families, uh, to a persecution of different forms, such as a physical harm or destruction of property, even martyrdom. In one part of North India, we have one of our missionaries, and he's been working in a small village there. And on a Friday afternoon, he and six believers met together for worship. And Hindu radicals came. And they threatened them. They said, we don't want you anymore to be trying to convert Hindus to the Christian faith. Two days later, six of these new believers decided to follow Jesus Christ and were baptized. This enraged the Hindu radicals. And a few days later, they came in the evening time and they threw kerosene on the church building and they burned it to the ground. Thankfully, no one was there at the time. And so no one was injured. Those believers have stayed in the village and they have not retaliated. But it shows the, the hatred of these Hindus towards the Christians. Some other stories. We have a group of missionaries in the southeastern part of the country. And they will go out on, on missionary visits to different villages. And one way that the Hindus have pushed back against them is to humiliate them. And you, what you see in the, in the small video here is they're taking liquid manure and they're throwing it in the eyes and on the person of the missionaries as a way to humiliate them. This came in just this week. And this is a group of missionaries that's also working in the southeastern part of the country. And they are working among 72 villages that have never heard the gospel before. And this is the response that they're getting. They're getting beaten and kicked because of their testimony for Jesus Christ. And then finally, I need to tell you a story about a young man. He's only 16 years old. And he came out of a Hindu background. He came to know Christ. And shortly after becoming a Christian, he right away went out and began to share his faith with others. This enraged the Hindu radicals. And they threw acid on him, burning about 60% of his body. This young man is now in heaven with Jesus. All of this points to the suffering of our brothers and sisters in this part of the world and other parts of the world for their testimony, for their faith, and for their witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, join me in praying for them today. Pray that God will give them courage and boldness and strength, that they will stand firm in their faith, and that they will continue to boldly witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your prayers, and may God bless you. I mentioned a little earlier about Jesus enduring the cross because of the joy set before him. I was talking to a missionary after the first service. Uh, he's been active in missions for about 50 or 60 years, been in India, been in the Middle East, and he reminded me that we don't, we don't pray for them to escape or be rescued but we pray for God to strengthen them as they continue to live out the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ before their friends, before their communities. And so I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Just bow your heads and let's, as a church, lift up um, our brothers and sisters around the world who truly are uh, paying a price. There's a high cost that they're paying today for 
by loving people to Jesus. Father, today as we join our hearts together, we lift up those men and women and those boys and girls in places that are not safe, places that really they're being punished for following you. And Lord, you see them, you know them, um, you're well aware of their situation and their condition. And so God, we just pray that you would be their strength. We just pray, Lord, that you would encourage their hearts. I pray, God, that they would know there are brothers and sisters praying for them in places like Linden. God, we just pray that, that their countenance would be lifted up. And even in the midst of persecution, because that's probably not going to end, God, we just pray you'd continue to strengthen them and give them all that they need. Be with the families of those that have lost loved ones, Lord, and encourage their hearts as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we can't go, we can't rescue, we can't stop the persecution, but we can pray. And so as an act of growing in your love for your fellow brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you just to write yourself a note to lift up a, a, a little prayer every day of the week for people that you've never met, but that you'll be sharing heaven with one day. And would you just lift them up and pray for them as they endure the suffering because of the joy set before them and the love that Jesus has give, given them to pass on to their communities. All of us can participate this way. All of us can have impact on the persecuted church. So every one of us is called to pray and to be active. And some, some people might say, well, Pastor Kurt, I, I thought that's what we pay you for. Aren't you the one? Aren't you just supposed to pray for the missionaries? Isn't your staff, aren't they? Isn't that why we pay you guys? No. It's not. Yes, we pray. But every believer is called to lift up and pray for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what John wraps up with today as, as he says, Who, who's qualified to love this way? Here we are uh, in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you who are God's children. That's all of us. Because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. So who is he writing to? Who's qualified? Everybody. All of us. Find our place somewhere in those three descriptors that he used. But the third thing that I want to talk about today as we close is that one of the best ways we can love one another is to forgive one another. That's number three. We live to forgive. We live to forgive. I don't know about you, but understanding that I'm not perfect... When I take a self-assessment and I go, you know, how are you doing, Kurt? Understanding that I have faults and I have flaws, knowing that I've been forgiven from those things, is what helps me to forgive others. And I know we think about forgiveness sometimes as simply being for a big sin. Somebody sinned against me, and that's true. We need to forgive for the bigger sins. But I think that there's this condition of forgiveness that we need to live in that will help us look past the faults and the flaws that we see in other people, faults and flaws that are in our own lives. And we can forgiveness helps us to, to look past those things into the heart, into the soul, the precious soul of every person that Jesus has died to save. You know, it's one thing to forgive someone who's just different than me. It's another thing to forgive somebody who's actually offended me. And that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness helps us to love imperfect people. Helps us to love people that rub us the wrong way. Now, take a minute right now and think to yourself, who's a person in your life 
that rubs you the wrong way. And if it's your spouse next to you, do not elbow them right now. But who is it? Everybody has a person that you kind of wish wasn't in your life, right? Maybe you work with them. Maybe they're actually in your family. But for that person, even that person, people who drive you crazy, uh, people who offend you, people who embarrass you, here's what we are to do for those people, those people that are in the body of Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32 to be kind to them, to be compassionate. In other words, when I hear that word compassionate, I think it means try to understand where they came from. There's usually a good reason why somebody is the way they are. And if we can have compassion and think about, I wonder where they came from. I wonder what's happened in their life that has caused them to be this way, if you think they are that way. You know, and then just be compassionate for that. There must be some reason. And then here's the big line. Forgive each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We all have faults. We all have flaws. And we've got to look past those exterior things. We have to look into the soul that is precious. Your soul is what Jesus died to save. And so as we look at people, we must look past the exterior. And we must look into the heart and into their soul. We all need the grace. Everybody, all of us, need the grace that comes from forgiveness. Now, I've been teaching a four-week mari- a, a marriage seminar through Thrive. And so what happens on Thursday nights, uh, we go over in the family room, and there's about 50 people who join us there. And then there's about 70 other people who join us online. So we've got a big online crowd. They've been listening. So last week, we had about 60, 70 people online, and I was getting ready to teach this class. So uh, Joel mic'd me up, and he got the, the Facebook Live ready to go, right? So I'm all ready to roll. I'm live, and I'm thinking, I've got three minutes. I'm going to run to the bathroom. So I run to the bathroom, and yeah. And I came back right on time. So I get in my chair. And my phone starts going off, like my phone's buzzing. I'm like, what? what's happening? But I don't have time. I've got to jump in and start teaching. So I start teaching, and I get to the first break. And so we take a break. People are, couples are talking to each other, right? I get my phone out, and I start reading texts from people who love me, who are on the live stream, and sending me texts. And here's one of the texts I got was from Bethany, who's in charge of, you know, Thrive, the marriage ministry. And she says, Kurt, your mic is on in the bathroom. Five exclamation points. I'm like, oh no. What did I say? Did I say something bad? She goes, no, I could just hear the toilet flushing, etc. <laughs> you know, toilet flushing, that's not a big deal. It's the etc. And I'm thinking, live stream is taking on a whole new meaning here, right? And so she says, I think we'll be able to edit it out later. Yeah, but what about the 70 people who I just scarred, you know, for the rest of their lives? And then uh, later on, after, after the service was over, we're talking, and she goes, Hi, Pastor Kurt, Paul and I were able to trim the video, so all is well. And I'm like, haha, that's good. Did I say anything? Or just bathroom sounds? Because I talk to myself sometimes, right? I'm thinking, was I, did I say something about somebody or anything like that? in the bathroom, and she goes, no, so no worries, it's all good now. And and just a couple of observations that I have about this all-too-common thing in my life. And one is this, I, I have faults, 
I don't always notice things. You know, things happen, and I make mistakes, and there's grace for that, right? There's grace. And that's the second thing I noticed about the text stream from, from Bethany and Paul, was that they didn't shame me. They were just trying to warn me, right? They were just trying to warn me. They didn't shame me. Uh, you know, they didn't get on me about, you know, forgetting that my mic was on or anything like that. But what they did, and this is the beauty that I saw in this, even though it's a funny little story. Here's the beauty. They covered me. They covered me. They edited my life, you know. How many of you would like an edit in your life every now and then? So they edited me. And my point is this, you know, when we live with imperfect people, we need to let them know, like if there's something that they need to work on and change in their life in a loving way, right? We need to warn them. But at the end of the day, we cover each other. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as long, again, if it's not sin, if it's personality, if it's quirkiness, if it's just, we're all just a little weird, right? We cover each other. Um, we extend grace to one another. We say, that could happen to me, or that could be me, or there's compassion, right? And this is how we are to treat one another when we find ourselves in areas that are embarrassing. You know, somebody messes up and there's embarrassment, or, or there's offense, or something happens in lives, right? You know how it is. We cover each other. We extend each other grace. It's a beautiful picture of what I believe forgiveness should look like. Again, forgiveness, let, let's extend the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness not just being about big sins, although it is, but forgiveness being about the way we live toward one another and being predisposed that we're not going to love everything about everybody, but we can love everybody. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. That is the way, that is what sets the church apart from the rest of the world. Listen, if, if we're not set apart, then why would the world want to join us? Why would sinners want to get saved if we're just like everybody else? But if we truly become a place of love, acceptance, and forgiveness, which we are becoming that, then that is something that a sinner would look at and go, I, I want some of that. I need some of that in my life. I need some grace. I need to be edited. I need to be covered. You know, Jesus made such an important thing about this, that if, that if you have something between you and another person, like, like if there's a resentment or you felt offended or maybe you feel like you offended them, Jesus, this was such a big deal to Jesus that he actually said, if you're in church, like I'm paraphrasing, if you're in church and you realize that you have something against a brother or sister or they have something against you, stop worshiping. Basically, he said, leave your gift at the altar of the temple and go to that person and make it right. Clear, clear it away. Make it right. Have a talk. Sit down. Come to Jesus, right? Have some forgiveness. And then come back and worship me again. It was so important to Jesus that we, we didn't allow things to come between us. That he said, interrupt your worship of me because, frankly, you're not getting through. <laughs> because there's something between you and another brother or another sister. That's how important it is to Jesus. And so I know that here in the room today, there's probably a resentment that you have with somebody, and I know it's not practical for you to go to them right now and take care of it. But during communion today, I'm going to give you a time to identify who that might be and then resolve in your heart to go and do that this week. That's what we're going to do with communion today because I believe that would be honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you? He said, I've forgiven you richly. 
Now go forgive others. So I'm going to invite the band to come, and we're going to close with a, a really rich, a good time of a little self-assessment. And think about forgiveness, first of all. First of all, the forgiveness that Jesus gave us in communion. But then secondly, how you might reach out to a brother or sister and, and maybe clear up a resentment that you have between you and them. Again, this is not about the world. This is about brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters who share the same Lord Jesus. So this song that we're going to sing really lays out what we've just talked about today. And I invite you to enjoy it. Just remain seated as you sing, and then I'm going to have you stand as we take communion together. <laughs>